Welcome to Stork Talks with Zoe and Tom. The Storks have been a part of life in The Hague for centuries. Have you spotted one yet? Each week, Stork Talks brings you a range of stories, news and anecdotes. And for the next hour, we'll take you under our wings as we discover the city of peace and justice. This is truly a special place to live and we invite you to tune in and discover it with us each Thursday between 8 and 9 p.m. on 92.0. All right, then onwards to the first topic of today. Sorry, the, the food and beverage related topic. Uh, like every week, I have the pleasure of exploring the food scene here in The Hague. Um, last week, we did an introduction into the topic of the, vegetar- the, the vegetarian and the vegan cuisine. Um, and, and we interviewed uh, Vegana Glory. And this week, I have another special restaurant for you. The restaurant is called Hortus. It's a, a vegetarian restaurant. Um, have you have you heard of it before? I haven't, but it. I think it ring. The name rings a bell in terms of the botanical gardens. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I, did, I didn't quite make that connection yet, but perhaps I, I don't know if he has a connection to the botanical gardens. Maybe. Um, but one of the beauties was I uh, went to speak to John. John is the owner of the restaurant, um, and. One of the first questions I, of course, ask him is, what is the Hortus restaurant? Hortus, I would say, is a place where you can taste all our family's passionate flavors. I come from a family with passionate cooks, my mother, my aunts, my father. And here's the place where everything comes together. Yeah, I'm from Suriname. And Suriname is a country with lots of different ethnical people, people from India, Indonesia. So our cuisine is a mix and match of all those countries, but also European flavors. Mm. So was this this wide variety in this family of home cooks, as you described it, the the motivation for also starting this restaurant? Uh, Yes, Uh, we were were always talking about it and and we love cooking and we're passionate about it. But none of us had our own restaurant, so it was time for me to start one. So we are all here. Sometimes my mother comes in to cook the homemade fresh rotis. If we have an Indian team and another week we have Indonesian uh, food. So it mixes, but yes, it's a place where we can explore a little bit further the taste what we want to develop. I, I really like that you said, like, well, none of us had a restaurant, so we had to start a restaurant. I think that is a, that is a great motivation to, to start a restaurant. And, and you said you switch. Your, your mom has the, the Indian style. Do you have a cooking style that is resembles you? Uh, well, of course, I'm influenced by what my mom used to cook, but uh, my favorite country still is Italy. So we have lots of Italian dishes as well on the on the menu. You could call it fusion, but it is uh, it is it is what it is. It is the favorite dishes of our family. So what are some of your favorite aspects about a hoarder restaurant apart from the family culture, the beauty and the general atmosphere? So what I like about Hortus as well is the location. It is it's situated on the beautiful Annapolona Square and we have a nice sunny terrace and it's nice to sit and enjoy the sun and the good food so that's really important i like the uh, the quarter the seyhelden quartier and the ambiance it is close to the city but not too busy the square is not too big and not too small and also not too quiet uh, for me it's the perfect location the perfect venue do you think that's a, the problem sometimes with vegetarian restaurants that they don't really have a, a prominent place 
Uh, I do agree, actually, yes. When I'm, uh, let's say, when I'm in Paris and I'm looking for a vegetarian restaurant, I always have to walk three streets uh, behind the, the, the nice squares and tucked away there is this little vegetarian restaurant and I want to sit on that square as well, you know, like all the other people. And that's why choosing the location was very important for us. So onwards to the, the specific cuisine, because you've chosen for a vegetarian cuisine. Um, what reason or why did you choose for this vegetarian cuisine? Well, I'm a vegetarian myself and most of my family are, or at least they don't eat a lot of meat and fish. So that was an, a normal um, reason, yeah. But we uh, also have a, a difficult family. Uh, we are not allowed to complain more than three times. And we were in The Hague. I was complaining, like, I cannot find the restaurant vegetarian, which is really to my liking. And unfortunately, I complained more than three times. So my family all said, then you have to do something about it. And then I had to start the restaurant. I think that's a beautiful motivation. I think if more people did that, a lot of problems would have been solved. You get yeah. three times to complain and that's it. What are some of your favorite stories from your time as, as Hortus Restaurant? So what I like a lot is that we have a few guests from Germany and from Belgium, a few, who come to visit us, especially to dine with us in Hortus. Nowadays, they stay with us because we have the hotel up, upstairs. I really find that motivating and nice. By now, I know the people and they're like close friends. So, uh, yeah. That is nice always to have the people in and uh, coming especially for us all the way from Germany. Yeah. And one thing you told me as well that you realized is you're also the first vegetarian hotel. Yes, yes, indeed. Someone told me that we are the... Uh, did you realize that we are the only vegetarian hotel in The Hague? I, I never thought about it in that way because for me, hotel is sleeping. And But yeah, in fact, we are. We do, we do serve eggs in the morning, but we do not serve meat and fish. So yeah, but still really a nice pancakes, fruits, everything. Yeah. One question that I wanted to ask you is, what would you say to some people who are a bit afraid of the vegetarian kitchen? Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> the one question I would ask you is, do you like delicious food? That is the most important question. If you like good food, prepared well, then come and try it. If you are really traditional and are not very adventurous, yeah, maybe that is more difficult for you. But if you're trying all kinds of cuisines, then the vegetarian is certainly one which you should try as well. I think that uh, if you are looking to be a bit adventurous, look for a beautiful location in The Hague to have a vegetarian experience, then I think Hortus is the right place to be. Where can people find more information about Hortus. So our website is hortusrestaurant.com and we also have the Facebook site Hortus uh, The Hague and uh, Instagram. Yeah, we will link all of that on our Instagram as well and then hopefully you will have some of the listeners who will take an explorative journey towards Hortus Restaurant. Thank you so much for joining me, John. Thank you, thank you. So, Zoe, an explorative journey towards Hortus <laughs> Restaurant. What do you say? Sounds advanced, Tom. But no, no, it, it sounds like a really lovely place. And I actually know, I know that little pline and it's a beautiful location. 
Yeah, there's one story I, I didn't manage to capture it in the interview, but it is like absolutely. I love this one. He he told me that um, um, he feels very strongly about like making sure that you feel well or you feel good when you do cooking. And there's even a rule they said they had in the family that if you are angry or something, you're not allowed to cook because you taste that into the food. Well, I, I'm not sure about that, but I, I actually think I said to the steward, I think it's very sensible because I just don't like to think of the accidents that can happen in a kitchen if someone's bashing and banging around. Absolutely. Now, Stark Talks. So each month we focus on a theme of current interest and like Stork's Time flies. Corona has affected our sense of time, particularly on a everyday level. During lockdown, many felt like time was literally standing still. The very fabric of time feels altered as we no longer have to leave home each morning to attend lectures or to get out of the office. So this week we explore the question, is it time to get back to work, school or study? As many of us have spent recent months working or studying from home, our everyday lives have been greatly affected, uh, sometimes negatively and sometimes positively. Tom, I know um, as a graduating student, you found the sudden lack of structure quite challenging, but you had a very creative response. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I think I was lucky because we, with the, the with students, we would come together every Wednesday to have conversations and to socialize. And uh, we started doing that online. And then very quickly, like you accurately mentioned, is uh, many of us felt like that we lacked structure and uh, sort of with uh, a lot of spare radio energy and a desire to, to be with other people, we started to do morning sessions every day at 10. So we had our own little morning show, which yeah, was a delightful way to start the day and to have a reason to be out and about by at least by 10. It was, because I, I actually joined you on one or two occasions and it was lots of fun, so I can, I can vouch for that. This week, we are very lucky to have with us psychologist and a specialist in leadership and change, um, and her name is Rachel Govender, and she joins us uh, this week on Stork Talks. Rachel works with leaders across a variety of industry sectors, both in person and online. We'd like to welcome Rachel this evening to our show. Rachel, welcome, Rachel. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you. Despite the distance, um, I think it's very fitting to the topic. Yes. One of the first questions that, that we wanted to ask you was, of course, um, when we talk about office or going back to the office, do you think that offices are a thing of the past? Yes. The short answer is yes. I think it's a, a thing of the past. Um, and actually, it's about time that it changed. So um, what would you replace it with? Is this going to lead to more co-working spaces or flex offices? Yeah, I think it could be a combination, a, com a combination of uh, working from home, combination of going into the office space and having a flexible working space. But it's interesting to have an, a different option because, you know, we've, we've been in offices for about 200 years, 250 years, wow. um, going in trying to, to manage time. So um, it would be interesting to see how it changes depending on different industries and different different uh, needs. So, yeah, a combination, I think. Now, um, Rachel, the well, what I like to think of as the COVID experiment has taught us uh, quite a lot about human nature and, and our working patterns. What stands out for you most about about this great big social experiment? That's quite a good way to explain it as an experiment. I, I remember reading an article about a psychologist looking at this as an experiment because we're all forced into doing something overnight, literally overnight, um, where we're not 
going to offices. We're not traveling as much as we, we have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like I said, we've been doing it for, for over 200 years since the industrialization uh, where we all had to go into offices um, to be able to work from nine to five, um, mm-hmm. more for our bosses to be able to see that we're working and we're producing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this mass co- commute uh, every day to the office, lots of traffic jams, and overnight things change. And, and it's quite interesting because from a change management point of view, normally it takes it takes a long time for someone to change or. Um, even for an, a company to change, let alone worldwide, everyone's had to, to work from home. So it's, it's interesting to see how people have shifted. And you know, even I've worked with leaders where we've had to have conversations of what does this look like? How, how do you need to do things differently? Um, and there's been a lot of resistance, so a lot of resistance from people to say, why do I have to work from home? How do I work from home if I have children at home, especially now with, with COVID that children have had to stay at home? How do, how do you shift that? You, you're working from a space that is usually a space that you relax, and now you have to be professional and do a lot of video calls. So how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you manage having these conversations virtually and still connecting at the same time. So, so it's, it's, it's a good experiment to be able to say, firstly, yes, why did we not do this earlier? Uh, secondly, uh, are we measuring quality versus quantity? Uh, should I work for eight hours when I could have actually done this in six hours? Mm-hmm. Um, can I work uh, different hours of the day um, and have time for my children or take a walk, for example? What does that look like and how does that look like for each person and, and different different countries and different companies? Do you think there's also a big difference, Rachel, between the, the different generations here? Because you, you're speaking about childcare and about, uh, of course, having to pay more attention. But um, I can imagine that, that students, uh, if you compare students and perhaps someone who already has a full-time job and, and a family may interpret this whole experiment very differently. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think um, generally uh, older people are more reluctant for uh, being able to work from home and having to deal with technology. Whereas young people, especially if you are in university or college, you're able to interact more so that it doesn't seem like there's such a huge gap. But when you're in university or in college, you, you tend to socialize a lot more. So, so it's, it's interesting in terms of what does that look like? How do I do it? How do I socialize with my friends? How do, uh, for children, how do we how do we actually um, make sure that it's safe for them to be able to socialize at school, for example? So it is a different mentality, and I think generally with behavior, with changing to a new way of thinking, the younger you are, the easier it is. Um, the older you are, the harder it is to change because you've been doing something a certain way for a very long time. So it is, is generally harder for for older generations. Of course, but now, um, Rachel, you touched on something interesting um, that we've we've seen as well. As you say, the pandemic has created new opportunities, new ways of doing things, and it's happened incredibly quickly. Some people have, have been pleased for the chance to work more from home or to work perhaps more productively, as you've mentioned. But a lot of people I've spoken to have mentioned how they really miss 
the real interaction that they enjoyed with their colleagues um, previously and how being online or having a business meeting online or a brainstorming session online is simply not the same. And I mean, I think if anything, this pandemic has highlighted to us that we cannot be entirely online, even if we if we want it to be. So, I mean, how, how do we sort of manage this need for real interaction in, in an increasingly virtual world? Yeah, so, so there's two things there. The first thing is real interaction. And I think, again, when we talk about changing, there's, there is a resistance. So I've noticed with training that I've given, actually with people within their 20s and 30s, that um, normally I would do in person and I've been doing online. And even as I was doing it, I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. It's going to be exhausting. There's no way to connect. I have to figure out ways to connect. And and the great thing is that technology um, has evolved enough for us to be able to do that. So when you talk about real interactions, and if you think about real interactions in um, the workplace, usually it's a one-on-one or just a small group of people. With going virtual, you have to be more intentional about it. So when you have, and and I think one of the reasons people are tired with having Zoom meetings all day and all kinds of video conferencing all day, is that there's no space for connection. There's meetings to be able to share some content, but there's no real interaction in the sense of how can I actually connect with someone. If you have a, if you have a, a meeting with um, 20 to, I've even had 60 people on there, you cannot interact. No. But with the technology, you can have breakout rooms. So I think it's nice when you have, you break people up into smaller groups. And I think with real, real interaction, um, one of the things I've been doing with teams is I've started with a check-in, for example, and a real check-in, not to say, okay, how are we doing? And waiting for people to say, you're fine, but really saying how, you, how you're feeling, what is happening, where are you mentally, where are you emotionally, and, and also physically, because some people are sitting with children, so they have to say, you know what, I've got a lot of children that are playing around and it, it might be a lot of noise, um, or my husband's on another call, or something so that you can actually be aware of okay this is hard and not try to be immediately professional about things because then the expectation is wrong but also mentally the person is not mentally you know involved in the conversation Mm. there's a lot of distractions so the meaningful interaction uh, helps and if you can with with people to have a uh, just a one-on-one but I think one of the things you know I also think is really important is also to have breaks you cannot have meetings. I mean, in, in the day, you do not have meetings back-to-back anyway. It's just, no. it's just not feasible in, in real life. So why do we do it online? And if someone asks me for the fourth time, how are you? I'm, I'm really not even going to be honest about it. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing, Rachel. Is like, is I, My question was going to be like, what practical advice or what, what tip would you give to some people going through all of this and uh, dealing with all of these instances? But I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head already when you said, well, I, I'm trying to do real check-ins and really trying to, despite the, or to use the technology to an extent that it's just, you're still trying to build that personal connection and ask questions of really how are you doing and where are you at and and i think i think you know when i say a hybrid COVID has put us in a space where we cannot meet in person so mm. when we talk about going forward um of course you know we'll have virtual virtual sessions but we can also add in 
the the meeting together. So it's how do I meet with a few people, go for a walk or have a coffee. Mm. And and it's about intentionality. So how how intentional am I to seek out connections with people and build relationships? Because I I've seen online with some of my clients that have been very resistant that they're learning it's it's learning a new skill of how do we interact virtually but not lose that human aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think that is actually quite a skill, to be honest. Most people haven't had a lot of practice in doing that. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading up a lot about it. I actually wrote an article after coaching one of my clients because sometimes it seems it seems illogical, but you really need to think about it and say, okay, my world has shifted and I cannot do things the same way I did it uh, last year. So, for example, you know, one of the things I say is normally we would have a commute to work. And in that commute, especially if you've got families or if you've got a lot of things going on at home, in that commute, your brain is literally shifting gears from being at home to going into the workplace to having that quiet space of saying, okay, well, what are the important things I need to do? Mm. But with working from home, uh, I don't know about you, but (laughs) I walk out into my lounge, go sit in my desk. And there, there it is. You're there at work. At work. <laughs> and that's even different for, for people who just have one room, like to speaking about students who perhaps like walk yeah. out the door and back in you the door. Literally so, you literally know, part of bed. Yeah, you're at work. <laughs> exactly. And so, so what kind of rituals do you put in place? I mean, I saw, I saw pictures this morning of a reporter that was sitting in her underwear, but she had put her, her chair on a table. And um, and then she zoomed out and showed, I don't know if you've seen it, a picture mm. of what her lounge looked like. And it was a lot of children's toys everywhere. You could see she was in underwear and just her, her, her top. And to be honest, I mean, I've done it. I've sat in, in shorts in, in summer. And it's, it's just being real to say, okay, well, how, how much does this help me? How long can I do this? And then sometimes I, I find it's just useful to put on makeup, for example. And for a student, you know, if you're in the same room, how do you create a designated space or how do you go into a ritual of, okay, now this is my workspace and maybe get a coffee or pull out uh, your books and put it on the table so now it becomes your, your office space. Mm-hmm. And then how do you close it at the end of the day as well? And it's, 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 a, it's a strange thing because if you still see it every day and it's in front of you, your brain never switches off because you're mm-hmm. always in work mode. And that can, that can be really exhausting as well. Absolutely, Rachel. Yeah, I, 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 I just want to say thank you, Rachel. It's been a d- delight to talk to you, and I think it's absolutely fascinating to talk about the, all the variety of aspects that we, we may not originally consider or that we may have overlooked a little bit when we talk about COVID. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I think the, the thing is we're all in it together, right? So. <laughs> well, that, that is for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. No one's getting out of this no. um, with a with with a special uh, jail free card. But um, Rachel, obviously, of course, you you have your own business, um, and as we've mentioned before, in in leadership uh, training. So, for those of our listeners who want to learn more about what Rachel is doing, um, please check our Instagram page. Tomorrow, we also have a Facebook page, and we will um, be providing a link there to Rachel's uh, website with contact details. So. If anyone wants to get in touch with her and discuss this in a bit more detail, uh, please, please go ahead. And thank you once more, Rachel, for, for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Stark Talks. So as we said, uh, we wanted to share some stories of, of activities and interesting things. Uh, you called it on the bright side, something cheerful to, to share with the listeners. Um, so 
to start off, sorry, what, what exciting things or what story do you have to share? Well, this week, Tom, I spoke with a fascinating man, Tay El Jula, uh, and he is based right here in The Hague, um, Tom, and he was, uh, his story is amazing. He was separated from his mother at the age of five. He spent two years in a refugee camp. He finally made his way to The Hague, and recently he has written a book about all of his experiences. It was published in July, and I spoke with him about this just about his incredible journey. It really is uh, inspirational. Wow, let's, let's have a listen. Tay, let's start with the title, The Invisible Sun. What lies behind that? What uh, lies behind The Invisible Sun is a personal journey of a young man who was born in Kuwait, raised in Lebanon, worked in Dubai, and lived in the Netherlands. And how all these experiences connected together to give him an answer on a question that was bothering him since 30 years, which is why didn't I go with my mother to the U.S. on September 13, 2001? So uh, it's a relief for me to find the answer for that question. And uh, this is why I decided to write my book. Now, you mentioned that the... um the process of writing the book actually helped you to to find the, some of the answers. It was therapeutic for you. But I think you also mentioned in the book that it serves or your experience, you are not alone. It can serve as inspiration or certainly apart from your own personal journey, what, what are you hoping others might gain from your book? I hope that others, uh, when they read the book, they can gain the sentiment of no matter how things go rough in life, no matter how low you you think you are, there is a moment where things will go better and they will pick back again. And that problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. You know, when you have a problem, it's like you have your own tailor and he's making a suit for you. So you never have an XXL problem on a size medium posture of a human being. So we always have problems that fit our shoulders and uh, it, it must not pull us down. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, you people have the right to cry, to be sad, to be depressed and to go through that roller coaster of of emotions there is always good moments uh, coming and hang on to your hope for that moment that's a fascinating metaphor i I really like it um so that yes and and your last comment then brings me on to my next question of where did you find the strength and the the courage to persevere in the way that you have where do you think that came from I think the courage and the perseverance uh, came from being raised in Lebanon, to, to be honest, because uh, there every day is a uh, every day you live is a blessing, and every day you live you're hustling to live to the next day. Uh, the struggles and the way of life and the culture of of Lebanon plants this resiliency in one's character and one's identity. So. Uh, the invisible man, which is the character that I've built in the past five years in the Netherlands, is known for him his resiliency. And 
from that i think uh you know everything else was uh, clear for me on what what i'm gonna do next now you are as we know you're now living in the netherlands uh, you've made it your home if i if i understand correctly what what do you like about living in the hague yes i made the netherlands my home and i have a house in the hague uh the hague was the first city that i visited when i came to the netherlands and uh, i like the diversity the city has i like that it stands for peace and justice uh, it stands for values that i believe in and values that are missing in my hometown in lebanon and i like you know that it's a small version of amsterdam so you can do everything you want in amsterdam but still do it in the hague enjoy the beach enjoy the quietness the 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 simple life here tall people short buildings like everywhere else in the netherlands so uh, i just fell in love with it at first sight when i came i couldn't agree with you more i couldn't agree with you more okay so tay if if people want to take a look at your book what where can they find it where is it available today the book is available at the american book center the hague uh, centrum it is available on my website tay.amsterdam tango england yellow.amsterdam uh, you can find it as well at the humanity hub at the cafe and finally you can find it on uh, ball.com just search the invisible sun and you'll uh, you'll find the book there thank you so much for talking to us today tay thank you thank you for having me Thank you for sharing, Zoe. I, I mean, there were really some parts. I, I loved the metaphor. I mean, I saw you did as well about like you. You don't have an Excel problem if you're a medium yourself. I think it's a very positive way of looking at life, and I feel when you hear messages like that from a person like Tay, who yeah. has honestly been through, through yeah. then you feel that that is really, um, you know, then you feel you can really trust that sort of comment yeah it's a very what is it a, a well-weathered opinion of something yeah no it's yeah uh, i mean the, the story that i chose is a bit more light-hearted <laughs> but I'm, I'm i'm very happy you shared it because i think that i think maybe that's the nice mix is sometimes we have some more, more i don't want to say serious stories but you, we have a nice mix i think you're right though tom i think uh, you know we can look on the bright side in very many different yeah. ways can't we and uh, tay obviously has done it at an incredibly high level in terms of what he's overcome but it doesn't mean that we can't look on the bright side of just everyday life and i know you've going to tell us a little bit about beach volleyball yeah well and that's also bright well the the thing was is um i mean the idea was to share a nice story or something positive mm. and i was thinking like the past week what are some of my well most positive or exciting moments that i had and i remember uh, monday tuesday this week they were absolutely beautiful they were some of the last like tropical days that we Summer had days absolutely and um i i with a, a few of my housemates i basically like i had a long day and i sort of like it was six seven and i thought well now should be the perfect time look at the weather and and they told me that they had recently purchased a beach volleyball um and i knew you can actually rent places so we went out to the beach tried and played some beach volleyball and then we sort of realized that well of course with corona and with the whole uh, uh well summer being over so to say there wasn't really any space to still well to still play um so what we did is well we did sort of the budget student approach to beach volleyball and we drew the field <laughs> but of course we didn't have a net so the the discussions followed about whether the ball was over or under the net <laughs> i'm surprised you got any volleyball played at all at that rate 
<laughs> well, it, to be honest, the, the the fact of just being on the beach and and absolutely like after a warm day, it's beautiful to just sit in the sand, and that's also what we did for a significant amount of time after that. And you, you see the sunset, and in that sense, the Hague is absolutely absolutely I, gorgeous. I was just going to say, this is one of the advantages of the Hague, is it not? No, absolutely. it absolutely absolutely is. It's, I mean, uh, it's something that. I feel it's such a luxury to be able to say at the end of the day, I've had a long day, I'm going to go and, and walk with my feet in the sand or dip my feet in the water. Like, I don't think there's many places in the Netherlands at all where you could do that. No, and uh, also, I must say, I was, well, the size, the sheer size of the beach in The Hague, it is, it does allow you to do things like play beach volleyball or I actually saw some people playing rugby, touch rugby there. Really? A while back. So, from, being from South Africa, I was immediately impressed. Are you any good at rugby? No, no. You know, no. <laughs> You know, I'm still working on those tackling and scrumming skills. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, so um, I, I think just like stalks, time flies and we're at the end of the program. Now, um, next week on Stalk Talks, we're going to focus on... Well, I have another special restaurant lined up and it's a, a one-of-a-kind in the Netherlands, I dare say. Okay, now you have been a bit... Uh, you've kept this one quite close to your chest, Tom, but I do know that it's almost unpronounceable for someone like myself. Well, that's why I think we'll be putting on the Instagram with the full name so people can can find it and in, in case they're curious, they can uh, Absolutely. find more information there. Uh, we also are very lucky uh, to have with us next week uh, Dr. Romani, who hails all the way from Brazil, although he is now a resident of The Hague. Um, but he will be talking to us about um, the covid vaccine um and we'll just be exploring this rather important question so we look forward to that as well in the topic of time for a vaccine yeah exciting Absolutely. um then I, I think there's nothing left but to thank you for tuning in but please tune in next week as well on 92.0 for more uh, fun frolics and some cold hard facts right here in the city of peace and justice